Did you know that the United States is at war? We probably forget about it, but we've been at war with Afghanistan since 2001. Uh, it's easy to forget about that, uh, that we, we are still at war. Now, I was too young to remember Vietnam. I know some of you remember Vietnam. I know some of you fought valiantly in Vietnam. I know some of you fought in Korea, in the Korean War, which looks like it might. Actually, that's been ongoing. Technically, the Korean War has never ended. Perhaps we're going to see the end of the Korean War. Um, so I don't remember Vietnam much, but I do remember when we invaded Kuwait. And I was a cook at Chi-Chi's. Anybody remember Chi-Chi's? I miss Chi-Chi's. One too many food poisonings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was there in the good old days uh, when the original owners of the national chain happened. But yeah, it actually did. They sold it and the other people didn't want to invest it. Because when I was there, it was very strict. I mean, all of our cleaning rules and regulations. And, and I, I started as the appetizer guy and I worked my way up to the head, headline cook uh, at night. And so I was, if you ever ate at Chi Chi's on 3rd Avenue in Bloomington, I was probably putting your burritos and enchiladas together and your fried ice cream. Uh, maybe on occasion, uh, so, uh, but uh, I, I remember uh, during college, I, I was a cook there for a while, and um, I remember it, the night uh, when somebody said, hey, we've just invaded Kuwait, and that was really my first really remembrance of, hey, we are at war, and I remember, you know, being in college, of course, I was at draft age, uh, of course, we don't have the draft right now, but you start wondering, are we going to have the draft? Uh, am I going to go into service? And um, it was a sobering feeling. It was a weird feeling that night that, wow, we are actually at war. And, uh, and I remember uh, some people would uh, yell periodic updates as we're back there uh, slaving away. And, of course, that war only lasted 100 days, which was perfect for our microwave generation right? Because we want microwave wars, right? 100 days, we're in or out. Uh, that's just the way our, you know, very little bloodshed and things like that. But what we forget is, uh, so I remember that, but what I do tend to forget is that we are still at war. Uh, we are still at war in Afghanistan. Now, I don't always feel like we're at war. I don't know about you, but it just doesn't to me feel like we're at war. Uh, I go throughout my daily activities. Um, you know, you watch the news, a lot of times you don't even hear anything about the Afghan uh, war, uh, and, and I, you know, I'm busy with my day-to-day -day obligations. I know you are too, running here to there and things like that, and, and, and really nothing uh, over in Afghanistan is really affecting me that, that I can think of like that. And, and honestly, the terrorists want it to be that way. They, they want us to forget that we're in, at war with them. Uh, they want us to forget about their agenda, which is ultimately to destroy America. So the terrorists are happy if we're, we're complacent about that. They want us to forget about uh, the lives that have been lost. They want us to get more focused on our day-to-day -day activities and forget that we're at a war and, and things like that. And, and so our enemy really wants us to get complacent about the Afghan war. And, and we seldom hear about anything. We don't, you know, like you never hear about a major offense like D-Day would have been. You don't hear about major offenses. Occasionally you'll hear that we killed somebody over there, a leader. Occasionally we'll have some of our soldiers uh, that are unfortunately uh, lose their lives. But uh, a lot of times we just don't hear anything about it and we forget that we're at war because there's no air raid sirens. We're not rationing food. There's no curfews going on. And some of you 
all remember that. And, and we don't have soldiers posted everywhere. We don't see tanks driving down the street. And so here in America, a lot of times, we just forget about the fact that we're at war with Afghanistan. And vice versa, as Christians, a lot of times we forget that we are in a spiritual war. A lot of times as Christians, we get complacent and we just get so busy with our day-to-day uh, opportunities that we forget that we are in a spiritual war. And, 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 and a lot of times we just get so consumed about what am I going to eat for lunch or what kind of ball game is on today or who's playing golf or, you know, what projects do I have to do at work tomorrow where we get so consumed about am I going to get to take a nap this afternoon or go whatever. We get so consumed for those things that we forget a lot of times that we're in a spiritual war. But the reality is we are in a spiritual battle. The reality is we are in a spiritual battle, uh, and yet so many times we totally, totally forget about it. And that's exactly what Satan wants, right? He wants you to forget that you're in a spiritual war. He wants you to be complacent. He wants us to focus on the mundane things in life. He wants us to be focused on putting our temper, you know, fulfilling our temporary desires. He wants us to forget about him. He wants us just to go on through life and totally forget that we're at a spiritual war. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, you, the day you did that, you signed up for the army. And the day you did that, you were on the front lines. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, honestly, what I'm getting ready to say doesn't apply to you. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, there is a spiritual battle going on, but if you're not a believer, they don't have a way to fight the spiritual battle. They don't have armor. Uh, if you're not a believer, you have no protection. Without Christ, you are a slave to sin. Without Christ, you are blind and lost. Without Christ, you're without hope. And without Christ, this world is all there is. This is your heaven. And so if you're not a believer, you're, you're, you're in the war, but you're not, you don't have any protection from the war. You have no way of fighting the war. And for a lot of unbelievers, they don't, think, they don't consider being in a war. They don't think about there in any sort of a spiritual war and things like that. So what I'm getting ready to talk about really only applies for those who have A, felt conviction from God, B, confessed their sins and turned from their sins by repenting of their sins, asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior of their life and to put their faith and trust in Him and Him alone. That when you did that, if you did that, at that moment you signed up for the army. And at that moment you were put in a spiritual war. You know, a lot of times, again, this is just the way Satan works. We have been sold this bill of goods in America that just trust Jesus and life's going to be great. You know? No. <laughs> you trust Jesus. You just got in the army, brother. You just got enlisted in a spiritual war. And again, Satan is on the attack. So if you're in the spiritual war, how do we fight Satan? How, what are our weapons? And that's what we've been looking at. So take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 6. Again, we went to this passage last week. We're going to be in this week. And just to give you a heads up, we're going to be in next week. All right? Because we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a war. Satan doesn't want us to think about that. He, does, he wants us to be complacent. But we're in a war. So here's what Paul writes, Ephesians 6, verse 11. He's talking to Christ's followers, those people who have signed up. All right, he says, put on the full armor of God. Here's why. So that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Now, I just want to recap a few things from last week because it's important. The armor is from God. 
It's God's armor. It's not your armor. It's not my armor. This is God's armor. Why has it got to be God's armor? Because we're in a spiritual war. Okay, so we're not necessarily talking about physical things on our body. We're talking about spiritual things. Remember, as Paul says in his passage we looked at last week, Satan works in the spiritual realm. He attacks your heart's affections, what you love. He attacks your mind's attention. He wants you to be focused on sin. He attacks your will to obey God. This is where Satan works. Satan works in the, the, in the spiritual world. His goal is to get your heart's affection to be on sin. His goal is to get you and I to love sin. That's Satan's goal. His goal is to get you and I to, in the mind, to approve of sin. He wants us to call evil good and good evil. That's what Satan wants. He wants you in your mind to approve of sin. He wants you in your heart to fall in love with sin. And he wants to do everything he can to get you to want to disobey God, to commit sin. This is how Satan works. So this is a spiritual thing we're talking about. So again... Uh, Satan's doing everything he can, even to believers, to try and get believers to, to fall in love with sin, fall out of love with Christ, to commit sin, and to live in the world. So again, this spiritual war is an unseen war. All right, This is in the unseen feelings of the heart. This is in the unseen thoughts of the mind. The only time we really see this is the actions that we do. All right, but this is the kind of war we're in. So that is why the one who, only one who can give us the armor is God. It's God's armor. That's the only way we have. God, though, he, he signed you up in his army and he's put the armor. And there's two reasons we looked at last week, just to recap verse 13. <clears throat> Paul says that so you can resist, stand against, okay, and that l- word literally means to push back with the same amount of force. And he also says in verse 11, 13, and 14, so that you can stand firm against those tactics of of Satan. Now, so God gives this armor. It's available to every believer. But notice Paul says, put it on. All right? It's hanging in the closet, but you got to put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. All right, so you've got to do that. So again, here was the point last week. It's the point this week. I'm just going to drill into our heads. To win the battle, put on the armor of God. To win the battle, put on the armor of God. I, I just off the top of my mind, I was thinking about the guy that uh, was leaving church, and he said, Preacher, you preached that same sermon last week and the week before that and the week before that. And the preacher says, Yep, until you get it right, I'll keep preaching it. So I'm just going to keep drilling it into our heads. Put on the armor of God, okay? It's there for you. God has it for you and things like that. So here's what Paul says. Stand, and he starts telling us the armor. And again, I'm going to recap a little bit here. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. And again, you begin by having that belt of truth because it holds up your clothes, right? (laughs) Keeps everything on, right? And the belt that the Romans wore was a wide belt here, and and it covered this midsection of their body. And so Paul says, all right, you got to put on the belt of truth. Why truth? Now we're talking about God's truth. Why do we have to have the belt of truth? Because Satan is the father of lies. Satan is a master deceiver. Jesus said several times he is a thief and a liar. And so you've got to have the truth. 
Again, when, when Jesus went into the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him, Satan would use Scripture and twist it. Jesus knew the Scripture and said no, and he fought back with Scripture. You've got to know the truth. All right? And, and again, you, 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 you have that belt of truth by knowing the Word of God. You need to spend time in the Word of God. And listen, I, I get it. Not every time that you read the Bible, and I read the Bible, I'm like, whoa, wow, I never saw it. Now, there's a lot of times I do. After all these years of reading God's Word, sometimes I'm like, I never saw that before. That is just, wow. And, and, and again, but there's some days I don't have those aha moments. Some days I get to the end of my quiet time, and I'm like, I'm not really sure I walk away with anything. But here's what's funny. Two or three days later, something will happen, and something I read that I didn't hit me at the time will pop back into my mind. You just got to have it there. So you got to read the Word, and you got to know the Word. Put God's Word in your heart. Again, you know, when, when a soldier goes into battle, they can't run back and get their gear. You got to have the truth. When you go into battle, when Satan comes at you, you got to be able to fire back. If you can't fire back, you're in trouble. So, you know, it, right now, know the Word. Learn the Word. Read it. Memorize it. Listen to sermons. You know, get some podcasts out there or something of, of some good pastors or whatever and listen to those things and, and learn to apply those things. Again, you've got to use God's truth because Satan is out there. I mean, he's saying things I told you last week. He's saying things like, it's okay to mock a person. No, the truth is we're created in God's image. It's not okay for me to do that. Satan says things like this. It's okay to kill a baby before it's born. No, it's not. We're fearfully and wonderfully made and all life is sacred okay that's the truth Satan says things like it's okay to look at pornography no it's not because pornography degrades men and women who are made in God's image all right and we're, and we're not to do that Satan says it's okay to have sex before marriage no sex is sacred it's set apart for a husband and wife in a committed covenantal relationship that's what the truth is Satan says hey you're just a product of evolution no the truth is you were created by God and you have meaning and purpose in your life Satan says, hey, God just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. No, God wants you to be holy. That is the truth. And again, Satan says, hey, if you love God, you'll have all the, everything will be taken care of. No, God says the truth is you're going to have trouble in this world. But I, if you will hold, I will use that to mature you and grow you in your faith. But you have to be able to fight the truth with the truth. You have to see the truth because Satan works subtly. All right? And I'm telling you, as I've said before, he works through the education system. He works through the political system. He works through the religious system. All right? We got some Yahoo running around right now saying he needs $54 million to buy a jet. All right? By the way, he's a false prophet. Jesse Duplantis is his name. I don't mind saying it. All right? He's a false prophet. So don't listen to him. Don't give your money to him. All right? Because, again, he says, well, Jesus would need a jet if he was on. Yeah, look, if Jesus needed a jet, he would just be there. He didn't need a jet, okay? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's a bunch of garbage. But, again, but see, a lot of people follow yahoos like this and give all this money to false prophets. Why? Because they don't know the truth. You've got to know the truth. All right? So, that's from last week. Let's keep going. Verse 14, Paul says, Stand therefore. So to win the battle, you've got to put on the armor. So Paul says, Stand therefore, let's look at the last part of that, with righteousness like armor on your chest. Now, 
our soldiers today, they wear Kevlar and things like that, so they don't dress necessarily as a soldier would back in those days. But a soldier back in those days would have this belt of truth, and then they would have this, this breastplate of righteousness, is how the old King James says it. They would have this, this breastplate right here, and it was usually very, very thick leather. And, and the reason for the thick leather was hopefully if somebody hit you with a knife, they couldn't get it that far into you, okay? Because the leather would help stop the knife. And that breastplate covers, guess what? Your heart and your lungs, two very, very vital portions of your plate. So again, what does he mean then when he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness? What is he talking about? Well, I'm going to submit to you, one thing he's talking about is what we take in and breathe out. It needs to be righteousness that we take in and righteousness that we breathe out. Let me give you a passage that I think kind of illuminates this. Paul, uh, James said this, in James 1.19, he says, My dearly loved ones, brothers, he's talking to Christ followers, understand this, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Again, James says, hey, you need to get rid of all this moral filth and excess and receive the word of God. Again, that breastplate covered the lungs. The lungs are, you know, when we breathe, we use our lungs. We take air in and then we, we expel air and things like that. Have, you know, if you've ever, I, I had a friend many, many years ago. He's long since passed away, but um, heavy, heavy smoker. And I remember visiting him in the hospital and he was talking about they pumped his lungs, I guess, and just how black his lungs were from all those years uh, of smoking and stuff like that. And, and uh, I remember him saying, I'll never do that again. Unfortunately, about three months later, he was doing it again. But again, you know, that you take that stuff into your lungs and, and your lungs turn black. Again, the stuff you take in affects your body. All right? And, and take a breath. Listen, Christ follower, think what Paul's getting at is this. You and I cannot believe, breathe the pollution of the world and not have it affect us. You can't sit here and breathe in smoke all the time and not expect it to affect you somehow, in some way, physically. You know, and the pollution of the world comes through many ways. Music, media, books, internet. Now, I am not asking you to crawl into a hole, all right? I'm not asking you to walk around saying nah, 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 all the time. We got to live in the world. I get it. I'm just asking you to be wise and discerning, okay, and understand you're in a spiritual world. War. We all have to deal with these things. I like to listen to music and media and read books and all that stuff too. But we have to be discerning. Remember, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He is the father of lies. You cannot breathe in Satan's lies and expect to be strong as a believer. You just can't. You can't breathe those things in. You can't breathe in Satan's lies and expect to have an impact for Christ. You just can't. You can't breathe in Satan's live, lies and expect to be growing spiritually. You just can't do it. If we keep breathing in that stuff, then we're going to breathe it out. And we breathe it in, it's going to affect us on the inside. Again, so... So he talks about having that breastplate of righteousness. Make sure that you're filtering everything through God's righteousness. Because I'm telling you, when you inhale junk, you're going to breathe out junk. And the Bible says your sin will find you out. 
All right, it's eventually going to come to fruition. So again, if you keep inhaling pornography, it's probably going to result in adultery. If you breathe in greed, it's probably going to exhale in the form of stealing. If you breathe in hatred, it's probably going to be exhaled maybe even into murder. If you breathe in anger, the exhalation of that could be very well abuse in, in, in your family and your life. If you breathe in bitterness, the exhalation of that is going to be revenge. You can't breathe in trash without exhaling trash. Does that make sense? So Paul says you've got to have that breastplate of righteousness right there. You've got to filter those things. Now, the breastplate not only covered the lungs while we're breathing in, protecting that, but it also covers the heart. And your heart, Rick Warren said this years ago. I just like this little saying. He says, here's how he described the heart. The heart is why you say the things you do. The heart is why you think the way you do. And the heart is why you feel the way you do. Your heart is why you say the things you do. Your heart is why you think the way you do. Your heart is why you feel the way you do. The heart is the real you. Your heart is the real you. So again, without that breastplate of righteousness, you and I may say, think, and feel ungodly things. We may, we may do those things. Again, the writer of Proverbs said this, Solomon, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. That's why you've got to have that breastplate of righteousness right there. Guard your heart. And if your heart isn't covered by that breastplate of righteousness, it's going to show in our attitudes and in our actions, okay? And again, that, that you need that thick breastplate because Satan is constantly throwing the darts of lies. And you've got to have that thick breastplate to be able to absorb those things so they don't get into your heart. And again, a lot of Christians are, live their lives because they breathe in the trash and then they breathe out the trash and, and, and they don't guard their hearts and so their marriages are destroyed, their relationships are destroyed, their churches are split and lives have been taken because people aren't guarding their heart and what they breathe in with that breastplate of righteousness. Because if you don't have that, Satan's arrows can be fatal. So to win... The battles. You got to put on the form of God. You got to know the truth. You got to breathe in the truth. Breathe out the truth. Breathe in righteousness. Breathe out God's righteousness and guard your heart. And then lastly, we're going to look at this and we're going to wrap it up. Paul says, And your feet should be sandaled with readiness of the gospel for the gospel of peace. Now, Earlier, verse 11, 13, and 14, Paul says, stand, stand. Well, that whole idea of readiness here is that whole idea of standing firm. It, it can literally be translated firmness. Have your feet saddled with firmness for the gospel of peace. You know, Roman soldiers, um, they had these very thick-soled uh, shoes that they, they would wear, and, uh, and, and, it, and also had metal studs, very little metal studs on the bottom of their shoes. And, and those shoes uh, was known in Latin as the Caligula, was the name of the shoe. So a, uh, a foot soldier in Rome was called a Caligutus or something, Caligutus or something, I can never say the word. Uh, C-A-L-I-G-A-T-U-S. Laura, you're a Latin person. What? Caligutus, whatever. Anyways, um, so, but they had these thick-soled shoes, and they had these little studs on them so they could climb up hills and things like that on slippery slopes. But 
in warfare in those days, there was a practice where the enemy would often take sticks and sharpen them to a point and bury them so just the tip was sticking up. And the goal was, if soldier, if they didn't have the, those thick-soled shoes, would run across and those points would jab up into their feet and totally disable the enemy. So they had to have the footwear to be able to get through those things. So Paul is saying, all right, I need you to have on some really good footwear, and the footwear is the gospel of peace. Now let me just explain this. I know you know what it is, but the gospel means good news. All right? The gospel means the good news. Because the bad news is we're all sinners. The bad news is we've all fallen short. The bad news is we're all condemned to pay for our sin. The bad news is we're unable to pay for our sin. And the bad news is because we can't pay for our sin, we are naturally condemned to eternal separation from God because God cannot tolerate sin. So we are condemned, unfortunately, to hell. Not because God wants us there, but because of our sin, our willful disobedience, we are sending ourselves there. All right. The bad news is there's no peace, there's no hope, there's no future. The good news, however, of the gospel is Christ died for your sins. And through him, you can have forgiveness of your sins. And because of him, you can have eternal life in heaven with God. And salvation is for anyone who responds to God's conviction and calls upon the name of the Lord and repents of their sin. They will be saved. And so Paul says, I need you as believers to stand firm in that truth, the gospel. Let me tell you, church, in a spiritual battle, we cannot compromise on the gospel. There's no compromise. Jesus is the only way, the only truth. Okay, he is the only way, the truth. He is the only light. As C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. All right? Either Jesus was just a man who was a liar. Well, if he was, his teachings don't support that. He was a lunatic. Well, 2,000 years later, you don't say the writings or the things of a lunatic where he was Lord, and he proved it by his resurrection. But that's the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is the only way. And, you know, people say, well, Christianity is so exclusive. Every belief system has an exclusivity part of it, even the inclusive ones, all right? Even the Buddhists, all right, all those people. They all have some things that are exclusive in their thing. But Jesus proved it by his resurrection. That is what we hinge our faith on, is that resurrection of Christ. And again, we need to have our feet planted in that. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. There is no compromise. There should be no fear in sharing the gospel. He is the only hope for deliverance. He is the only answer to sin. But let me tell you something. Satan wants you and I to compromise on the gospel. He wants us to do that. He, here's what Satan wants us to say. Well, Jesus is a way to God. And you're hearing more and more religious leaders say that, even within the church. Well, he is, he is a way. No, he's not. He is the way. He's not a way. There's no multiple choice here. Okay? He is not a way. He is the way. You know, Satan wants us to say, well, you know, Jim everybody's probably going to heaven. Maybe not Hitler and my neighbor down the street that I don't like very much. But other than that, everybody's probably going to get there. No, that's not the gospel. 
the gospel is we're all condemned, but the good news is we can have eternal life through Christ. It's available to all. Satan wants us to believe just being a good person is good enough. No. You can be a wonderful moral person, but that's not how you get saved because all even good moral people still are sinners. There is no other way under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. It's the good news. And you know, some people are like, I wish we had more than one way. Look, if we had a million ways, you'd still want a million and one. I'm just glad we have one. Aren't you? We didn't have to have a way. God could have said, forget you, I'm going over here and starting another group. God in his kindness and his mercy and in his sovereignty said, I'm going to provide a way. I'm going to provide a way. So again, to win the battle, you and I have to put on the armor of God. We cannot compromise the gospel. And notice what Paul calls it, the gospel of peace. Because I'm telling you folks, the only way you can ever have peace in this life is by having Christ in your heart, by receiving the gospel. Jesus said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Look, junk happens. This life is horrible at times. People are mean and cruel and things are bad and people make mistakes and it affects us and we all have things we're dealing with in our lives because of actions of other people and it's bad. This is not heaven but in the midst of this earth we can have peace. This is not all there is. It's just temporary. It's just temporary. Again, we have a better future waiting on us. You know, one of my uh, favorite preachers I listen to, he's an apologist. If you don't, if you don't know, what, it doesn't mean he's, a, he's saying he's sorry. He's a defender of the faith. Probably one of the most brilliant minds today. His name's Ravi, R-A-V-I, Zacharias. He's from India. Uh, he's just turned 70. Um, travels all over the world, debates people at Harvard, Yale, Stanford, speaks at all the big things, goes all over the world. And he was sharing in one of his messages that many, many years ago, the young Reverend Billy Graham, at the beginning of Billy Graham's ministry, went over to Germany and he met with uh, Conrad Adenauer, who was the new, newly appointed German chancellor right after World War II. And Adenauer turned to young evangelist Billy Graham and he says, Billy, do you really believe in the resurrection of the dead? And Billy Graham said to Chancellor Adenauer, if I did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, I would not be here to preach the gospel that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And at that point, Chancellor Adenauer went over to the window and looked out over the city, buildings in ruins. Of course, Germany had been bombed. And he turned back to Billy Graham and he said this, outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no other hope. I know of no other hope. Ravi Zacharias just talked to you. I'm just going to read something that he wrote. He said, I was talking to the found, one of the founders of Hamas. We all know about Hamas. Uh, Sheikh Ta- Talala. And I was part of a group of people who had gone to the Middle East to try and bring people together to a peace table. Sheikh Talala gave us a great meal, told us of, 18 years, of the 18 years he'd served in prison and how some of his children had lost in suicide bombings. When my turn came to ask a question, I said, Sheikh... Forgive me if I'm asking you the wrong question. 
Now, please tell me, what do you think of suicide bombing and sending your children out like that? After he finished his answer, I said, Shake, you and I may never see each other again, so I want, to hear, want you to hear me. A little distance from here is a mountain upon which Abraham went 5,000 years ago to offer his son. And as the axe was about to fall, God said, stop. Now, real quickly, Islam believes that he was offering Ishmael. Jews believe he was offering Isaac. Okay, now, he, Ravi doesn't get into that. He just said, as the axe was about to fall, God said, stop. I said, do you know what God said after that? Sheikh shook his head. I said, God said, I myself will provide. He nodded, his, he nodded his head. I said, very close to where you and I are sitting, Sheikh, is a hill. 2,000 years ago, God kept that promise and brought his own son. And the axe did not stop this time. He sacrificed his son. The Sheikh just stared at me. The room was full of smoke with all of his security people. I said, I may never see you again, but I want you to leave this with you. Until you and I receive that son that God has provided, Jesus, we will be offering our own sons and daughters on the battlefields of this world for land and power and pride. I could just see the man's lips beginning to quiver. He was sitting right next to me. Nobody said anything after that. As we were walking out, Sheikh Talal went quickly and shook hands with everyone. Then he came over to me and grabbed me by the shoulders, kissed me on both sides of the face, patted my face, and he said, you're a good man. I hope to see you again someday. When you understand Christ's grace, it's an unparalleled message. In Hinduism, you pay with karma. In Islam, you never know if your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. But the grace of Christ comes to you and says, if anyone comes to me, I will no wise cast him out. That's the good news of a gospel of peace. And we have to be firmly planted in it. To win the battle, you've got to put on the whole armor of God. So here's my question. Are you putting on the armor of God? It's a spiritual battle. Satan's going for your mind, for your heart, to try and get you to willfully disobey God. It's an everyday battle. It's easy to forget that we're in the middle of a battle. You and I have to put on this armor. So are you putting on the belt of truth? Do you know the word? Are you learning the word? Are you, are you spending time in the word of God? You've got to breathe in God's righteousness so that you can exhale God's righteousness. You need to guard your heart with God's righteousness because Satan is the father of lies and he's coming after you. Therefore, stand firm. Punch back with the same amount of force. You have the ability through Christ. Put on the armor of God. Share the gospel. Stand firm in the gospel. And that's my word to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to get so caught up in our daily lives that we just forget that we are in a war. So I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself as we watch TV, as we have conversations, as we read books, as we listen to music, that we will filter things through the truth. That, Father, that we will stand firm in righteousness and the gospel. Lord, help us to resist, to stand firm in love, but in firmness. 
And Father, there may be some here this morning that have never responded to Jesus Christ as Savior. And I pray today before they walk out of this room that they will bow their knee and just say, Lord, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I'm turning from my sin. I want to turn to you. Save me. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that's never done that or somebody that might listen to this broadcast on the internet, that they'll do that. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have responded to Jesus, that we will not forget we're in a battle. And every day, we'll put on that armor that you've given us. We'll guard our hearts and minds. And so, Father, I pray that we'll stand strong, stand firm, and be ready with the gospel. And, Father, that we can be that salt and light in this world you've called us to be. And so, Father, we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.